Welcome to Theology Boot Camp. I'm going to work you today. I'm going to stretch your mind. No, the point for today is to practice loving God with our mind. It's to devote ourselves and to pursue Jesus through learning. And so the hope for today is that um, we're going to try to stretch our brains around one of the most complicated the most argued about, one of the most debated topics of discussion um, in Christianity. Not just today, but spanning its 2,000-year existence. So um, we're going to talk about the Trinity. We're talking about why the Trinity, really. Um, And so I want to start by asking the question and talking about, like, where did the doctrine of the Trinity come from? Okay, the word Trinity is not in the Bible anywhere. And so I've had people tell me, look, it's not in the Bible anywhere. How could you say that this is true? How could you believe in the Trinity when it's not even in the Bible? Um, And so I want to answer that question. Where did the doctrine of the Trinity come from? If you read the Bible from beginning to end, um, you will be compelled to believe in the Trinity because of what the Bible says about God. Okay, if you take what the Bible says about God seriously, you will land in the doctrine of the Trinity. Okay? The Bible, from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, um, in the Old and the New Testaments, says that there is one God. Okay? It makes it super clear. And so let's look at the scripture sheet on the Trinity and look at some verses. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Isaiah 44, 6. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me there is no God. And in the New Testament, 1 Timothy 2, 5. For there is one God. And there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. So, from beginning to end, and this is just a sampling of verses. Right? There are hundreds of verses I could give to you that say unequivocally that there is only one God. Right? Now, in the midst of this teaching, though, in the Bible, as you read it, in the midst of the teaching of the Bible, the Bible actually gives the names of that one God, It gives the titles of that one God, and it even gives credit for the works of that one God to three different people. And so these three people are different manifestations of God. Who are they? Right. Okay, they are the Father... Son and the Holy Spirit. So these are the first first line of blanks. Manifestation. First the Father, then the Son, then the Holy Spirit. And the Great Commission sums this up, right? In Matthew 28, it says uh, when Jesus tells them tells the twelve that disciples are to be baptized, he says they're to be baptized into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so God, the one God, has manifested Himself as three different people, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So let's look at this, right? Because does the Bible really say that, or 
Do people that want to hold on to the Trinity just make claims like that? Well, let's look. Um, so, again, on your scripture sheet, let's look at the Father. We're looking at the verses in scripture that teach us that each one of these three manifestations is, in fact, God. And so, first, the Father. 1 Corinthians 8, 6 says this. Yet, for us, there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. So the Father is God. The one God is the Father. But wait. <laughs> Hold on. In John chapter 1, verses 1 and verse 14, it says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So the God who was God, <laughs> who was the word who was God, the word who was with God, became flesh. It was Jesus. And so the Son is God. And again, there are at least seven or eight other explicit verses in the New Testament that specifically say that the Son, or Jesus, is God. But I'm just giving, you a, just giving you a taste. All right, then what about the Holy Spirit? 1 Corinthians 2, verses 10 and 11. says, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Verse 11. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And so the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of the Father. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is God. So, other things that are on your scripture sheet that we're not going to look at, but I'm giving you them so that you can have more, more passages to study. But all three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, are given credit for creation. So if you say, well, who created all things? Well, God. Well, the Father created all things, the Son created all things, the Holy Spirit created all things. Um, both the Father and the Son are worshipped in the New Testament. Uh, there are passages in the Old Testament that refer to God, but then in the New Testament, they're quoted and they are explicitly said to be talking about Jesus. So these three are a union. Um, in the Bible, the Spirit is the Spirit of the Father in some places. The Spirit is the Spirit of the Son in other places. The Son is the visible image of the invisible Father. It says that. It says that the Son is the exact representation of the Father. Even Jesus said, if you've seen me, what? You've seen the Father, right? And so the Son is the Spirit, it says. It also says the Son became the Spirit, at his resurrection. Um, and so it's confusing because the Bible is giving us windows into something that is unexplainable. We are being shown glimpses. We're being given photos of the nature of God. And so is there one God or is there three gods? Um, like, which is it? Well, so theologians, the best theologians over the last 2,000 years of church history have argued and debated. People who haven't gotten this right have been declared to be heretics. Um, there have been people who have died 
because the church has felt like this is such an important issue that if you get it wrong and you're teaching it to other people, you're to be killed. Now, I'm not saying we should do that, but I'm just saying that's how important this issue has been, right? Now, the best theologians, in my opinion, who have taken all of the biblical data, because the key is what happens often when we get when we get wrong on this is that we'll take a couple of verses or one verse and we'll say, oh, well, this is actually the clearest verse, and so all the other verses need to be squashed into this verse, and that often happens. Um, but I think what's important is to take all the verses and let them all say what they say and say, we're going to try to create an understanding of who God is based on all the verses. And the theologians who have done that, they have said this. They've said that we believe in one God who has manifested himself in three different persons or three different people. But what the heck does that mean? <laughs> right? Um, and I think even more importantly, and the reason why we're here tonight, is that I started asking the question, not what does that mean, but why does it have to be so confusing? Like why? Why does God give us all these different verses that explain that there's one God and yet there's three people that are given the credit of being God? Like why does he make it so confusing? Why would he reveal himself in a way that causes some people to mistake, like to, to misunderstand it. Like, why would God do that? Why would he make it so hard for us? Like, what's the point? Do did he, did he have to do that? Um, why is it so complicated? And because I've been asking that question, I feel like I've been led to an answer. So I think I have an answer for that question of why it's so complicated. Um, I think that God has revealed himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit because this is exactly what people need. This is what human beings need. Not need to be confused, but we actually need God to reveal himself in these three different ways. So what do I mean? To be and to become the best versions of ourselves. We need to relate to God in these three different ways. Okay? To be and to become the most mature, the most powerful, the most encouraging people on earth. We need to relate to God in these three different ways. And I think that's why God has revealed himself like this. He has manifested himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit because you and I, like we need God to be these three things for us. And without any one of these three things, we would not be the fully glorious and honorable human beings that God wants us to be. And so the more we understand these three manifestations of God, the more that we practice relating to him in these three ways, the more glorious we will be, the more powerful we will be, the more of an influence we will have, the better leaders we will be, the better people we will be, um, the brighter our light can shine, the saltier we'll be able to, we'll be able to make the earth an even greater place. So, so we're going to talk about this. These three manifestations of God, these three persons of the Trinity in some ways, tell the story of the whole Bible. Okay, Because in the beginning, when God created all things, 
it was natural for God to relate to humanity as a father. We are made in God's image and likeness. Genesis 1, verses 26 to 28. And um, the Bible uses this image, um, this language of, I'm sorry, this language of image and likeness to describe the relationship between a father and his children. Um, In Genesis chapter 5, if you look on the scripture sheet toward the bottom, it says image and likeness means family. Um, You see Genesis 1.26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And then in Genesis 5 verse 3, so just you know, less than four chapters later, it says, When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. So to be made in the image and likeness of God means God is your father. He's your father. That's what the image and likeness is designed to communicate. Now, even after humanity's fall into sin, the Bible teaches that God continued to relate to his people as their heavenly father. And so this is, so the relationship that we have with the father, we call him father because this relationship means, here's a blank that's coming to you in that first column, Um, Father means God over us. Okay, it's God over us. He is relating to us as a perfect father. And so in essence, what does it mean to have God over us? That means that God is, here's the the next row in that column, it means that God is our loving authority. The best fathers, the perfect father is a loving authority. Okay, we're going to talk about the implications of this in just a second. Now, once humanity fell into sin, right, once we have the fall, um, God the Father is not enough. Okay, we actually need something else. Perfectly created human beings need a loving authority. Um, But once we become sinful, um, we need to be rescued from our sin. We need to be saved. And so in order for God to save sinful people, he himself had to become human. Okay? And so as people who fall short of God's standards, we need two things. Right? As As a fallen sinful human being, we need two things. Anybody know what they are? We need forgiveness. Okay, so yes, we need forgiveness. Um, we do need to be transformed, and but we need something else. Like so, yes, we need righteousness. We need someone to come and do for us what we failed to do. So not just to erase our mistakes, but we need somebody to do it right for us. Okay, and so. We need a human being to succeed where we failed. Someone who can redeem humanity, who can enter into the presence of God and bring us in with him. And so we need this not just as an example for us to follow, but we need a representative to do this for us. God's demands are perfection. And without perfection performed, we can't get into his presence. We don't belong there. And then we also need a human being to deal with and remove the punishment that our sins deserve. So we need a substitute to remove the sins that separate us from God. So we need the sins removed and we need the righteousness, the perfection 
given to us. Now, it just so happens that these two things fall under the umbrella of the job description of a Messiah. (laughs) And so to be the Christ or to be the Messiah is to be a representative. And so we need someone who is righteous and also not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. And so Jesus lived a perfect life and he is overjoyed to share with us the blessings that his perfect life earned from God the Father. And so to be saved means that we need both God as Father and a God as our brother. Okay, And so this, then, the relationship that the Son has to us, um, if the Father is God over us, the Son is God before us, God in front of us. Make sense? Right, so we need, we need God in front of us so that when we go into, this in fact is what it means every time you pray, if you pray in Jesus' name, that's what you're saying. You're saying, I'm praying this God because Jesus is standing in front of me and allowing me and, and enabling me to have access into your presence. I'm praying this because in, in a way that reflects that I'm not worthy to have my prayers heard and answered, but Jesus is. And so I'm entering into your presence. I'm making this request in his name. So it means to pray in Jesus' name. Okay, so we've got God over us as a loving authority. God before us, then, is a perfect representative. So that's his essence as the Son. He is our perfect representative. So that's the essence blank there. Okay, now we also have a third need. We need something else. Forgiveness is wonderful. It's amazing. Being accepted and treated as though we are perfect is a blessing that demonstrates the extravagance of God's grace in ways that almost nothing else can. But forgiveness doesn't change us. Forgiveness doesn't make us different. Plus, Jesus has now ascended into heaven, but he made this promise to us before he left. What did Jesus say? I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. He said, behold, I am with you even to the end of the age. And if you were so disturbed and anxious and maybe frustrated at watching him ascend, you'd be like, "Uh, Jesus, hello. What about your promise? And so how can God be with us when the Son has joined the Father in heaven? And the answer is that he comes to us through the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church at Pentecost. In Acts 2, verses 17 and 33, the Holy Spirit was also poured into our hearts personally when we believe in Jesus. That's Romans 5, 5. The Holy Spirit is the presence of God who comes to live within people. And so we need God's indwelling presence to make us strong to change us from the inside out, to fill us with his power, and to help us become what God has always wanted us to be. And so by coming to us in the Holy Spirit, God fills us with his life and his character 
so that we would be transformed, become like him, again, from the inside out. So, if the Father is God over us, and the Son is God before us, the Holy Spirit is God in us. Yep, God within us, God in us. So if the Father's loving authority and the Son is our perfect representative, then the Holy Spirit is our empowering presence. And so again, the point of this, the reason why God has revealed himself in these three ways is not designed to confuse us but it's designed to draw us close to him for everything that we need. It's designed so that we would find in God something, no matter what our needs are. These three manifestations of God are designed to teach us how to be in a relationship with him that touches every area of our lives. That the Father would... um, would teach us and instruct us, guide us, defend us, protect us, that the Son would go before us and be our champion and our victor and someone who would look back to us and bring us with him and that the Spirit would draw near to us, that we would know we're not alone, so that we would know that we are more we are more, we have, we literally, one verse says that we partake of the divine nature. That's how close our relationship is with God through the Holy Spirit. So he is God over us, before us, and in us. And so we can see here that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they work in different ways to bless us with a salvation that transforms our hearts, our minds, our will, and our emotions. Um, And so one theologian said that if you look at the gospel, that each of these plays a different role. He said this, I think this is John Murray who said this. He said, the father, and this is the last last line or the last row on your handout. He said this, he said, the father authors salvation and transformation. The son accomplishes salvation and transformation. And the Holy Spirit applies salvation and transformation. And so this is the God who is at work in the world, who is saving people who believe in Jesus. Friends, this is your God. So I want to talk about application. But I want to pause here and just ask if anybody has any questions about this. We're going to dive into all what this means. We're going to have some discussion together. Does anybody have any questions about this? Are your three cups representative of the I didn't. I didn't think anybody was going to notice that, Bill. <laughs> Bill noticed that I have three cups. One... Two, three. <laughs> a wonderful coincidence. Clearly ordained by God outside of my control. Not intended, although I'll take it and, and we can run with it. 
Brianna. question is, am I saying that this is one guy with three personalities, or is this one guy with three persons? Yeah. I guess would be the question, right? Yeah. And so, um, so the answer, in terms of what we believe in the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is our creedal statements, it says that we believe that there is one God, and that one God has manifested himself in three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and these three are equal in power and glory. They are one God, equal in power and glory. So. Um, there's like so if you speak no, no 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 it's okay yeah yeah so if so the the like the requirement for pastors and for elders and for deacons in our church is that you need to believe that there is one God who has manifested Himself in three persons and these three persons are one God equal in power and glory like literally you have to you have to embrace so. Um, right, they say the Son is not the Father, the Father is not the Son, and, and neither are the Spirit. Um, that the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son, the Son proceeds from the Father. And so, um, now, in my opinion, I go back and forth as I try to, because the purpose of this is not to get into the, and I don't, I'm, not, you're not, I'm not hearing you say this, but the purpose of this is not to endlessly try to figure out, for instance, like how many angels can fit on the head of a pin. Like the purpose of this in my mind is what 1 Timothy 1, 5 says, that the goal of our instruction is love. Right? The goal of all of our teaching is love from a pure heart, a sound mind, and a clear conscience. And so the design of understanding this about God is that we would relate to him. I think there are times when it can be incredibly helpful to realize that the Son is the Son of the Father, the exact representation of the Father, and um, and that the Spirit is the Spirit of the Father, and the Spirit is the Spirit of the Son, and the Son is the Spirit, the Son became the Spirit. Like, there's times when I think it's helpful to think there's just this one God who's manifested himself in three different ways. It can be helpful to think about him that way. But the Bible also demonstrates that there seems to be a relationship between the Father and the Son that existed before the world began. It seems like there's a relationship between the Spirit and the Father and the Son that went back way beyond before creation. And so um, so you're safest to say that, I mean, this image that these three sort of interact with each other, like the Father said, hey, let's save people this way, and the, Spirit, and the Son said, I'm going to go do that and accomplish it, and the Spirit said, great, I'll apply it to everybody that believes where you kind of have this dynamic of like these three, I don't want to speak irreverently, these three buddies that are like figuring this out, how to love the world, and that all of creation is a manifestation of their love relationship. Like that's really beautiful and wonderful. It means that the core of everything is relationship and love. You know, whereas if you only have one entity, if you have one 
person that is God manifesting himself in three ways, then, I mean, I've heard it said that then the core of the center of the universe is power. Like, you have this God who's all-powerful, and he happens to be loving, but really he's powerful at the core, and he makes all these things, and you have to honor him. And, but when you have a triune understanding of God and this multiplicity of persons, then there's a sense of community at the heart of who God is. Um, the challenge with that is that it just it's hard to then say there's one God. And this is where the mystery comes in. So I think it's helpful to think sometimes about the one God manifest, that same God manifesting himself, like he loved you so much to be your father, but then he also came as your brother who went out in front of you and accomplished the salvation, and now he's coming inside of you so that that one God has done all these things, and he's all you need. But there are also benefits from recognizing the interrelationship the Bible presents as happening between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that our salvation is us being invited into that dance that those three are doing together. So, so this is where the mystery is. And I think if our realization, if we understand that the point of all of it is for us to enter into a relationship and to deepen our understanding of who God is and how to relate to Him, then I think there's quite a bit of freedom to sort of lean back and forth in those two different ways of. I mean, basically, it's like you can squeeze the the unity of God or you can squeeze the tri-personality of God. And I think you get different things when you squeeze both of those emphases. So that would be the way I would describe it. Bill. I have heard what I consider to be a very unsatisfying explanation of the Trinity as water can take three forms. It can be water, it can be steam, it can be ice. The reason, and I'd like your reaction, the reason I find that unsatisfying is that Scripture clearly teaches God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son coexist. They are equal in power. No one is absent at any one time. They are all fully present everywhere at the same time. So, yeah, my reaction to the God is like water, or God's like H2O, ice, water, steam, is two things. First, if that's helpful, to, I, so I would say that and offer that to people, and if they go, oh, that's cool, then I'm like, sweet. If, if they, if I say that to people and they're like, okay, then I'm like, all right, I'm just going to leave it alone and just move on to something else. So literally like three hours ago, I was in a conversation with someone that I'm reading the Bible with and, um, and she brought this up because I was like, Hey, I'm teaching on this thing. The trade should come. And she was like, well, Hey, this is what I've heard about this, this water. And I was like, does that work for you? She's like, yeah, this is great. I feel like it's something to grab onto. And I'm like, cool, great. I'm glad that works for you. I, and, but then I also said, here's my second reaction to that, is that for me, the idea that like there's ice, water, and steam, that doesn't help me relate to God at all. It just, like, I'm not sure. So God is cold sometimes, God is fluid and squishy. I, I don't know. Like, I don't know where you, I mean, so if that works for you to illustrate some idea that one God could manifest himself in three ways, cool. Like, that's the more unity of God you know, element, dynamic way to think about him. But I would say that I think Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are given to us because the point of God explaining any of this is that we would know how to relate to him and deepen our relationship with him and realize how much he loves us and the extent to which he'll go to come 
after us and to seek us out and to find us and to teach us and to direct us and then to empower us to participate in the renewal of all things. I mean, that's the goal. Like even with forgiveness and salvation, the gospel, the goal of the gospel is to produce people who will renew the earth by his power and for his glory, right? This is the vision of our church, but it's the vision of the Bible is a new heaven and earth where everything is made right. And the means that God is going to use to bring that about is the transformation of individual people, the collection of them into a community, into a family, and then living it out as radically different people in very ordinary ways um, to show that there's a different way to live, there's a different way to think, there's a different reality because there's a God who has gone this far to reach us and to care for us and to minister to our needs. Um, And that's just, it's mind-blowing. So... Ben. Um, so I'm trying to form a question, but I don't even know. You know what? I'll just come back to me. Okay. <laughs> I got to do it. Yeah. So I think the greatest challenge I've had with communities and tasks of having friends that are Muslim. Um, I was just curious if you've ever had conversations with Muslim individuals about community and um, maybe how that Yeah, so how do you have a conversation with, like, a Muslim who doesn't believe in a triune understanding of God? Um, Sorry, what? Or a Jew. Or a Jewish person, yeah. Um, So I think that the best way to interact with someone who doesn't agree with us but has some sense of, like, where the the circles overlap, you know, with what they believe, what we believe, um, the first thing that I would say to someone who is Muslim is I would say, here's my sense of where we agree. Um, We agree that there is one God, and we actually agree about that. We believe that there is one God, just like you do. Um, We believe that that one God has revealed himself in three persons, Um, and that's confusing. Like, just to, to be able to say up front, there's a mystery here that will make me feel foolish talking to you about this because this is going to sound silly to you. And I'm going to do my best to explain it, but I just want to put it on the table that this is going to sound odd for someone who's... It's going to sound like I believe in three gods. And I would just I'd say that up front. You know, that way they know that you know that this is kind of weird. <laughs> you know, And so I would start there and I would say we both believe this. Um, and so you start with where you agree. And then I would say that... Here are the implications. Like, and so there's really there's two reasons I believe this. First is because I believe the Bible actually teaches this. And you can take them to some of these passages. You can take them to more passages that say, I'm just compelled by reading the scriptures, by reading what God has said about himself. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Just like I did at the beginning of this, right? There is one God, and yet these three people get the titles and the names and the attributes and the worship and the and they get credit for the actions of the one God. Um, and then I would say, so the Bible compels me to think this way, but I would also then jump to the second thing, which is let me explain to you why I think this is important. Like this isn't just a theological debate that I would want to have with you. I would love to be able to talk about um, 
the, what's the best term? Like you could say the story that this produces for the life of a follower of the gods that we believe. This creates a radically different story. And then I would talk about, um, I, would, I, would, I would tell this, the differences in the story in two ways. First, I would go back to, and Tim Keller did this for me first. I think in The Reason for God, he does this, where he says, when you believe in the Muslim version of God, that there's only one God, at the heart of the universe is power. At the heart of the universe is control. At the heart of the universe is this manifestation of raw authority. Um, when you understand that at the heart of God is a relational interplay between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then at the heart of the universe is love. And so just because you want to believe something doesn't make it true. That's where you look at the scriptures. But I think that you can see the fruits of the different religious beliefs about who God is when you look at some of the manifestations. And I wouldn't accuse every Muslim of being the worst version of the Islamic faith in the same way that I would hope that most people that aren't Christian wouldn't accuse me of being the worst version of the Christian faith. But I do think that there is a manifestation that there's fruit. There's fruit that flows from believing that the core of the universe is power versus the core of the universe is love. And I think that makes a big difference. And I think that love is a better core. I think that God revealing himself um, as, as a loving, triune relationship community is infinitely more powerful even, and it produces something much more beautiful. So I would talk about that as the story. And then I would also say that the story that I, I would not equate God the Father and Allah, but the idea that the God who is above us, that he would love the world so much that he himself would come, not just send someone else to tell us, but he himself would come and that he would sacrifice himself for us, makes my heart sing in such a deep and profound way, convinces me that he really does know me and understand me and he feels what it's like for me to be tempted and to struggle and, um, and then for him to want to live in me through his spirit. I just think our view of God is better than their, God, their view of God. And so that's how I would respond. And I would have some shorter version of that for, for Jewish people. Like, um, you know, there's a different, you know, different understanding of God. But, like, I would, I would tell that narrative that, um, that Christianity tells that goes beyond um, the Jewish understanding of God um, in a similar way. So does that make sense? So, yeah, I do think, especially in our day and age, um, we should, I mean, we want to talk about what the Bible teaches, but we need to not argue over, like, what the Bible teaches. Instead, we should tell the story of the God that we believe in. Because the story of the God that we believe in is so compelling when we tell it the way the Bible tells it, that it will actually move people's hearts even before, it, you know, they're ready to embrace it with their minds. So it is a compelling story, the gospel. In CBR this morning, and um, 
Isaiah 44, and the New Testament reading was Romans 1. Um, it presents both cores, power and love. Yeah. It says, I am the God created, I did this, I did this, I did this. But I also saved you, I redeemed you, I loved you, I called you out. That's it, love and power. So we've hit some points of application here, right? Um, with this section, though, um, what I want what I want to do is I want you to like wrestle with the idea that if God the Father is our loving authority, like if you had God as the loving authority in your life, how would that bless you? So I'm going to actually stretch here. Like if God was the loving authority of your life. So think about authority over you. Someone who would tell you what to do. Someone would give you directions. Someone who would correct you when you were wrong. Right? If God was a loving authority in your life, how would that bless you? Trust. Trust, okay. Trust, encouragement. And, and tell me more about trust, Robin. Trust. Like what do you mean by, like how would that make you trust? Why would that make you trust? Because when I sit down and read my Bible in the morning, often I don't even know what the question is, and bam, I just open up that Bible, and there it is, and it's just right in my head and right in my heart. I know it's what I need for that day. And the fact that it's God telling me that, I can trust it. Yeah. So good. So good, right? Because sometimes we ask other people for advice. Sometimes we ask other people for wisdom, and... I mean, they love us. They kind of want what's best for us, but like, what the heck do they know? Right? And yet, when it's God, when we can read his word, like we can trust it. We can know what God thinks and how he feels about just about anything in life. So yeah, so trust. What else? If God was your loving authority... Two, two things come to mind for me. One is that I can love authority. <laughs> and, the, and the other is <laughs> because authority in our culture is bad. I mean, it tells us it's oppressive. But with a God like ours, the way he shows us loving authority is so good. And I can relate to that kind of respect for authority, what good authority can be like. And then it models when I'm in a position of authority how to do it with love. So he's my model. Yeah. So you can love authority. You can love God's authority and then you can I mean what's cool is that you kind of just ran through the Trinity, right? God is this loving authority who you know is loving because he's died for you and then the spirit is in you enabling you to kind of use your authority in that same way in for others way. in a loving way. Yeah, I love it. Love with authority. I guess it's love authority and love with authority. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this means that God's not a tyrant. He's not a dictator. He's not an abuser. And these are ways that we see authority misused. And God's not like that. And so this understanding of God helps us because there are times when that sort of seeps into our thinking. 
You know, when, when the Bible says stuff and we don't like it, we can feel like God's a killjoy. We can feel like God just, he'd be really happy if we were miserable in the corner, grudgingly doing what he wants. When we think that, we have left our, I mean, a real understanding of who God is. Like, that's not God anymore. <laughs> that is a, that's a figment of our imagination. We're projecting onto God someone that he's not. So this can call us away from thinking that way. Um, so if, if so let's talk about God the Son, right? If Jesus is your perfect representative, um, how does that bless your life? Man, love that. We're still okay on our worst days. What do you mean? So in your day, you're just like, oh, I'm going to be with and you're not, you can wake up the next day and you're not, you're not happy. So good. On your worst days, you can wake up tomorrow morning and God's mercies are new. Every morning they're new. Because our identity is not based on our performance. It's based on our perfect representative's performance. Or I should, it would have been more rhetorically powerful to have said, it's based on our representative's performance, and his was perfect. <laughs> Bill? When I became a believer, God the Father was a very upsetting concept for me. Because my own father was very strict, very judgmental, and I could never please him. And he always pulled the rug out from under me. So I felt... God the Father was just like that. But as I, and it took me 10 years to deal with that. But God the Son, I could relate to because He came and took my place. And so while God would pull the rug out from under my mind, the Son would put it back and throw roses on the rug. Yeah. There is, like, there's deep. I would say even psychological reconditioning that happens as we pursue God in these ways, as we let go of our projections onto God and receive what the Bible says he's like. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and, and sometimes, like, like Bill said, sometimes it can take years to unseat wrong understandings of who God is. Um, sometimes we need community around us to tell us, wait, wait, hold on, hold on, that's not God, that's your... That's your projection onto God. Remember, he's a loving authority. He's not that way. Um, okay, and then if, if God if God the Spirit is our empowering presence, then how would that bless your life? You're not alone. Ever? You sure? <laughs> I love that, Cheryl. Sometimes I'm not sure, but yes, it's true. It's so good. It's so good. Um, yeah, this sounds, it, it sounds cliche because sometimes stuff that is so true and always true becomes cliche, but you are never, ever, ever alone, ever. Freedom, okay. She said it engenders freedom. Why? How, Kathy? 
Um, I don't. Uh, if God is uh, able to do all the things that we believe He is able to do, you don't have to worry about not uh, not living up or not being able to produce or not being able to. You, you can let go and say, whatever it is, it is, and I'm just going to go with my heart and do the best that I can. And you don't have those doubts and those, I mean, they still creep up, but it's a, it's a feeling of freedom. Yeah. yeah, so she's saying like there's this feeling of freedom when you know that God is with you. You don't have to be successful. You know, success looks like you doing your best and then trusting God to deal with the results um, and the freedom that comes that you're not responsible for the results, the freedom that comes because God blessed you before you started. It's like from last Sunday, right, where Jesus was baptized first. And God was well pleased with Jesus before he went out into the wilderness to face the devil. He went out in full confidence that God loved him. That was that testing area. It was not whether God would love him or not. Um, God blesses us and we minister, we serve because we are loved by God, not to earn his love. It's huge. I want to expand on what Kathy said about feeling of freedom. I think it's the reality of freedom. It's real. It's not just a feeling. And I recently had an opportunity to explain that to someone because of my volunteering. I'm not allowed to evangelize, pray, do anything. And my supervisor, who respects me immensely, asked me how I was able to be quiet on my calls because she had problems all the Christians in the program evangelizing. And she goes, how do you do it? Because there's no secret about what I believe. And this was such an amazing opportunity to say two things. I know that God has heard the prayers of my perking, which they all know about. And number two, when I walk in, I know as a Christian, without any doubt, that God is within me, and he will take the action he wants to take. And the silence was deafening. And I hope this is, as a, because I know it's not up to me. He's going to do what he's going to do. I'm just the devil. And it's real. It's not just a feeling. There is power that just explodes. So good. Ben, did you remember your question? Did it come back to you? Okay. Uh, so, like, I think not a lot of you, correct me if I'm wrong, but kind of the main thing you were saying is God, the way we understand this from here, God is not himself, like, previous to this, this is what we need, this is how we need to relate to God. But for some reason, like, in my mind, that almost gives, like, a kind of like the Shack vibe. Have you seen yeah. like, the Shack? Yeah. I've read the book and seen the movie. Like, just, <clears throat> I don't necessarily know the purpose of it, but is the name God, like, God, Yep. For some, I don't know why, but like for some reason that still gives like a not like a negative taste, but like a like a too man-centered <coughs> taste. Almost. 
almost as though God cares more about what we need than who he really is. Yes, I think what I'm, what I'm like trying to process is like what seems more so to me that the Trinity, more so than just like God alone, because it's, that's what we needed. It's like the Trinity is man's best attempt, given what God has revealed in Scripture, given what he does say about himself, to explain this who God is. And in that, we have found that he is a loving father. We have found that he is, you know, like, Jesus the Son, he is, he's given the Spirit. But at the end of the day, it's like we still only know the heart, like all of who God is. So I guess, I don't, do you kind of see what I'm kind of Yeah, I think I see what you're saying. Do you have a thought about yeah, this? Okay. I think I would just phrase it a little bit differently. Not that God is that way because we need it, but we need it because God is that way. So, so God doesn't change himself. We're the creation that is calling out. And we relate to them that way because that is who it is. So the way I would respond to both of what you're saying, to what both of you are saying is that I think while at this point I'm not persuaded that I should change any of what I've said today, like I really do think that God revealed himself this way because this is exactly what we need as created beings and then as fallen human beings. Um, but I would add into this also as healthy a dose as I could possibly add of John Piper's God is so glorious and he is so majestic and he is so wondrous that even if he didn't do this, we should spend all of our efforts trying to know him and to worship him and to honor him. And I would just teach both of those things not necessarily at the same time, but at different points of time in teaching. I think it's incredibly helpful to realize that we have a God who, I can't even, like to say he condescends to us is such a radical understatement of what it means that God would take on human flesh. Like he came because that's exactly what we needed. We needed someone to live the life we should have lived and to die the death that we should have died. And so I don't think it's unbiblical or even too man-centered to say that God revealed himself because this is exactly what we need. I think when he created us, we needed a father. And so he manifested himself that way. Um, I think those are expressions of who he is. I don't think God had to become something different to manifest. You know, I think he was just manifesting himself. You know, that the son, that Jesus shows us that at the heart of God lies an impulse to serve. And so he came and emptied himself and became, took on the form of a servant and obeyed to the point of death, even death on a cross, right? That, um, and so, yes, that's how I would respond. I, I feel like I understand a desire to worship God for who he is and to think, God, I don't want you, con- I want you just to be you and I want to worship you. I want to conform my life to who you are. And I would say, amen, absolutely. And there's a time where we all need to just be called to say, I don't care what you need. We need to know who he is and worship him exactly who he is because he's the standard, right? Because <laughs> that's, that's what he deserves. Um, but at the same time, I also think it's helpful for us to know that we have a God who, though that is our just and right duty, He's not waiting for us to do that. Like he is jumping out of heaven to come. He is running down the road before, you know, as we just turn, even before we understand that it's our duty to, to worship him as he, as he wants to be worshiped. Um, and so, again, both of those things are just aspects of how we're supposed to relate to God. So 
All right, let me, I'm going to end us because I want to, I want to stop here, but I'll stick around. We can talk, have questions if you have more questions. I want to end with these quotes. This is from a, a, an author named A.W. Tozer in a book called The Knowledge of the Holy. On the first page of this book, he said these two things that are profound. He said this, he said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And then he said, we tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. So this is why we're studying the Trinity. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And then we tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. <coughs> and so we want to embrace all of him and how he's revealed himself, Father, Son, and Spirit, so that we might move toward him, both in relationship and then in transformation. Let's pray together. Oh God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Truly, we've tasted more of the depth and the breadth of who you are tonight. And we long to relate to you in these ways. Help us to draw near to you in these relationships, to lean on you in these different ways because of who you've shown yourself to be for us. Tonight, grant us assurance where we have doubt. Give us strength where we feel weak. And transform us to be people that walk with you in incredible confidence and joy so that our cup would run over and we would fill our city, our homes, our workplaces, our neighborhoods with the joy of knowing who you are. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 <laughs>